Hi, Michaela LaFrac here. The podcast you are about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela LaFrac. Classical music makes many of us think of old world Europe and white men with white wigs. But contemporary classical music is a diverse and ever-changing genre of its own, especially in the melting pot that is America. Johnny Gandelsman is one of the most renowned classical musicians of our day. He's a Grammy award-winning violinist who plays with the genre-bending group Brooklyn Rider, and he's currently an artist-in-residence at Dartmouth College. During the pandemic, Gandelsman, like many musicians, was stuck at home in the Hudson Valley. All his public performances were canceled. That's when he had an idea for a project that he would eventually call This Is America. He reached out to around two dozen composers living in the United States, and he asked them to create something inspired by the moment we were living through. One of the composers he reached out to was Kujiro, or Ko, Umezaki, a Dartmouth alum and a friend. This year, the Hopkins Center for the Arts at Dartmouth is presenting the entire This Is America anthology for the first time, including four hop commissions. Johnny Gandelsman is performing at Dartmouth and venues all around the region. Before a performance on February 6th, I had the chance to sit down with Johnny and Co. in front of an audience in Hanover, New Hampshire. We're going to play that conversation for you today, as well as some of their music. Today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any calls or emails. And with that, let's go to my conversation with Johnny Gandelsman and Kajiro Umazaki. We'll start with a bit of music by Clarice Assad, called O. Oh. Johnny, let's talk about this massive piece of work, This Is America. It's about as diverse as the country itself. Um, but many of the folks who are involved in this project, yourself included, were born in other places and now call America home. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what your, your earliest cultural influences were? Sure. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I was born in uh, Russia, 
um, in Moscow uh, into a family of musicians. Uh, my, both of my parents um, are professional musicians. Um, and then my older sister, uh, four years older, is a violinist as well. And I started playing, when I was four years old, I, I copied everything my sister did. So I walked around behind her with these two very large pencils kind of mimicking the, the motions of playing the violin. My parents thought, oh, looks like he wants to play the violin. And so I got one of, of those. And um, yeah, you know, it was, it was uh, childhood, you know, kind of deeply rooted and very classical, very classical focus. Um, I moved, my family moved to Israel uh, when I was 12. And um, I continued my studies there. And I came here to go to school uh, in 1995. Uh, I went to school in Philadelphia. It was the first time I was you know, away from home, living by myself. And um, yeah, I guess soon after getting here, I started to <laughs> diverge off the path that was predetermined. Mm. Um, what did your parents think of that divergence? Um, well, uh, it took a while to, for them to be on board, I would say. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was, some of it was just teenage rebellion. But, but I did discover that um, the biggest joy I was getting out of playing music was, was in situations where I was uh, working with friends. And I know it sounds silly that that was the discovery when I, that I made when I was 18, but such, you know, that, that's what happened. I left school, you know, in 1999. I moved to New York. Soon afterwards, I met Co. Uh, in Washington, D.C., where um, the Silk Road Ensemble was a group, one of the groups kind of in residence for the Folklife Festival in 2002 on the mall. And if, for folks who haven't been to the Folklife Festival in D.C., just imagine the sweatiest you could possibly be <laughs> and surrounded by great art, but is this uh, mm -hmm. yearly festival... In July. Um, <laughs> in July on the National Mall. Um, but that's that's where you two meet. Co, Co, tell me a little bit about... Well, first, before we get deeper into your meet-cute, um, about yourself growing up. You grew up in Tokyo, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Tokyo. Uh, let's see. This is the way I explain myself. I'm a product, I'm, I'll keep it short. But no, I'll, let's do it. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I really think that I'm a product of the Second World War. And the reason is uh, my father, uh, who was um, from the southern part of Japan, he lived in a place called Minamata, which is a city that uh, is also became infamous for some other things. But uh, it's right across the bay from Nagasaki. And he saw the mushroom cloud in Nagasaki. And my mother, who is from the southern part of Denmark, uh, her father didn't come back after going to war in 44. So somewhere, you know, trying to reconcile a fractured world, allowed them to meet in Spanish class at, in Ohio. Yeah, so they're both international students who met there. So that's, that's where I come from. Everything I do, and including you know, my relationship that I've developed with playing with Johnny and the way that I play and think about my instrument, I think is rooted in that, that particular context. And tell us about this instrument of yours. Yeah, uh, it's called a shakurachi, and um, it literally means one foot eight inches. 
Um, but there are different sizes of them, so I'm still trying to figure that math out <laughs> a little bit. And it's a Buddhist instrument, although there's an earlier history of it coming from China when Japan was trying to figure out how to bring in ideas for setting up a, a country during the Tang Dynasty. It is a tool for practicing meditation, not necessarily for playing music per se, but there's a much more complicated political history behind that instrument. And it looks something like a recorder. Yeah. Um, but I hear it takes a, a lifetime to really master. It's a notoriously difficult instrument. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> My mother reminds me that one year after I started at the recital, it looked like I was playing, but there was no sound coming out of the instrument. Yeah. yeah. So when you two met, you um, come from different backgrounds, you play different instruments. What sparked, what felt like, you know, this is a person who, who I could work with? The Silk Road gang, the Silk Road group of musicians, it's been a group of colleagues and who became friends, like lifelong friends, you know, so, um, and we discovered so much about each other's backgrounds, each other's traditions, and then one of the best things about it was that there was this um, give and take. There was, a, there was someone there, very kind, that would take you by the hand and just kind of lead you in and say, and open the world uh, door and say, this is what I do, do you want to participate? You know, that just built a tapestry of, of experiences and memories that we still draw upon. This is like 22 years ago. Uh, and those, so those friendships are for life, and they kind of provide, you know, a richness to <laughs> what we do. Set the stage for us for the inception of This Is America. When did this idea of creating this expansive project first start to percolate for you? <laughs> when I first started thinking about doing something, it did not have a name, and it was not going to be an anthology. It, it didn't have any grand things I was going for, but, but, I was, but it was summer of uh, 2020. I was, uh, for a moment, uh, a resident of New Hampshire, up in the White Mountains region, where my family and I uh, kind of escaped New York City, where we used to live in Brooklyn uh, in 2020. The, the city was you know, getting shut down that day or about to be shut down. And my partner said, okay, we're packing the car and we're leaving. And took the kids, went to New Hampshire. And, and um, we were there for, we thought we were going to be there for a very short time. We ended up being there for six months. It was just a very strange experience to be there because... Uh, uh, well, first of all, I'm in general, I'm a, I'm a city person. I've always lived in cities. And so like nature and I have a difficult relationship. <laughs> uh, and, and then, yeah. And, and, you know, we were on this beautiful little lake in a, in a, you know, old house that my parents, my partner's grandparents used to live in very safe. Uh, my kids didn't have to wear masks for, for months. Didn't see anybody really. But then you know, through our phones and through the radio and, and the news, you know, we were watch, kind of watching as the world was just going up in flames, you know, literally and figuratively with COVID and police brutality and the fire, fires on the West Coast. And then, and then there was the election. And then we, but we were so, we were together, we were safe. We had a, in a way, like a bonding 
thing with our family, but also we were so isolated from everything that like our friends and our community and our home and and it was strange to just be sitting around and thinking I, I don't know I was thinking what is there can somebody do anything can I do anything about any of the stuff that's going on you know when we try to do things like um, play a concert online and you know raise money for this or raise money like we try there was a, there was a I think the music community creative community at large was trying to do things suddenly online it was like a big push to do things but um that was also exhausting i remember that yeah anyway so this idea came to mind which was you know everyone is sitting around at home right now maybe i could commission some new music to be written for the violin uh, and i could ask composers to just reflect on this time that we're all experiencing. And that's how, kind of how it started. I, I, I keep lots of lists on my phone. And so I had a, you know, I have a giant list of people that I would love to work with. And I just started going through the list and you know adding names. Co-Speace was one of the first ones that was actually like, okay, this is actually happening. And it was great. And it, it really helps um, when you're writing emails like that to say, oh, we already have the Hopkins Center on board, you know, and that gets, it makes it easier for other people to jump on board. And it grew from there to, yeah, over 20, to over 20 commissions. And then just after that is when I, when things started coming back and I started looking at like the wealth of the material that was coming, I realized that it was kind of like a slice of time. Hmm. It was this work was representing like a small slice of time and also a small slice of the creative output in this country. You know, 24 is very little. My list is very long. <laughs> uh, but um, then it kind of led itself to this idea that maybe it's an anthology for the time. That's Johnny Gandelsman alongside the musician Ko Umazaki. We're going to pause here for a quick break. Stay with us, because when we come back, we're going to hear more of their music and learn about Ko's inspirations for the piece he wrote for This Is America. You're listening to Vermont Edition. Stay with us. Welcome back to Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lafrac. Today on the show, we're listening to a conversation I recorded earlier this month in Hanover, New Hampshire. I sat down with the renowned violinist Johnny Gandelsman an artist-in-residence at Dartmouth College. We discussed his anthology called This is America. We were also joined by Dartmouth alum and shakuhachi player and composer Kojiro Umezaki, who contributed to This is America. Today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any calls or emails.
Co, when you first heard from Johnny, uh, when you got his his text or his email, uh, his phone call saying, hey, do you want to be a part of this thing I'm putting together? What, what was going on in your life at the time? Were you in a similar space of isolation? Yeah, I was. Uh, so I, I live in Los Angeles now. Um, and pretty much the way that Johnny characterized, I think, what a lot of us were going through in music and um, you know, there's been such a shift, I think. We were, we were having this discussion, I think, last night, but there's been such a shift towards um, recorded music, I think, right, uh, in, in recent years, and, and sort of we can discuss the value of what recorded music has become now, especially to us who, who create it, that, you know, the live stuff just stopped. And that's a pretty scary thing, I think. Um, I think there's a freelancers, it doesn't have to be music, but there's a freelancers mentality. I think we can all relate where, you know, if you're a freelancer and when in particular, like, you know, like if I am allowed to include myself into your world, but as like Johnny is, you know, he's a musician, doesn't have a, you know, necessarily, it doesn't, you know, play an orchestra or thing or something like that. You know, there's this, like, you got to say yes to everything. Right. And just, and, and there's a, there's a halt in all of that <laughs> that happens, I think. Cancellations, yeah, yeah, like exactly. one by one. Concerts get canceled and all that. Yeah, and like that's dominoes. a psychologically very, very difficult place to be. I'm fortunate because I teach at the University of California, Irvine, you know, so I had that work to do and, you know, my work involves some technology as well. And mm -hmm. so I could sort of assist a little bit in terms of trying to get all the network stuff happening um, through small little projects that went that happened online during that period, but uh, definitely because my friends are part of you know a network of people like Johnny's, you know that um, it's tough to to you know just to absorb that a little bit, yeah, you know, psychologically. I'm curious to hear from both of you how that period of time um, changed how you thought about um, about your art when you started you know perhaps playing music for the first time in in a while i'm assuming solely for yourself um or for a different type of audience maybe an audience you couldn't see directly in front of you um i i talked to a lot of musicians during the pandemic who um really struggled to pick up their instruments for a while because that relationship with the audience had had been severed in a way, um, Johnny. How did you think about um, the the violin and your relationship with your own music creation? Yeah. I barely played the violin, honestly, during that time. Um, um, yeah, uh, it was it, it was it was hard, and you know, um, online there was the online performance thing where you would go in and to a studio and and. You know, there were presenters around the country that wanted to like support the artists and say, "Okay, can you can you create a video and we'll show you know we'll show it and we'll pay you a fee and we'll share it t with our audiences and uh, and a lot of that was good, you know. But but the experience of being in the studio by yourself wearing a mask sometimes because for for a variety of reasons one could find themselves wear a mask um, that was incredibly also <laughs> isolating like. You know, and and I think, I think sometimes uh, musicians uh, can fall into the I, the side of 
where you might take the audience for granted. <laughs> but if that ever happened to you, the pandemic definitely took care of that. <laughs> like you can't, you know, there was, there's no way because um, even having one person in the room just changes completely like what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, um, so that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Co, were you still playing music? Uh, music? What's that? No. Uh, <laughs> um, no, actually not. I think I was just trying to figure out, you know, I think like all of us, it's like, what, what can we do in this situation? And so I think mostly I was trying to help out with, um, uh, with more on the technology side of things and trying to see, you know, where we can take the existing technology and come up with something that we, would be meaningful at that time. So when you first uh, started talking to Johnny about this project, um, what what inspired the work that you would then go on to create, Breathe? Right. So um, the instrument that I play, like I said, is was really kind of its, its most interesting historical period is when it was used for meditative practices. And so it, was a, it seemed like it was a natural thing to think about. Um, breathing because there was a paradox right during that period where the actual life-giving you know force that we have as humans breath was actually also potentially causing you know the transmission of of the opposite right to right um and so that paradox to me was seemed very very strong that i wanted to address um and just to be really simple about it i I would say that the other element of it was, you know, in addition to the pandemic, we have, you know, among many, one example being, you know, the killing of George Floyd and and the forcible denial of breath in some ways. I can't breathe. Yeah, seemed like, um, it, like Johnny was saying, it, it's a snapshot or a slice of time that, which was which was the kind of the homework assignment, right? Is to think about 2020. I think that particular year, um, and so those two things seem to come together for for the at least the concept behind the piece. Hmm. Yeah. Johnny, did you start to see common themes emerge as you spoke to the artists that you were working with? You know, I I sent out the prompt, but I didn't ask uh, what people were going to come back with. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, so until I got the scores, I, I for the most part, I really had no idea um, what people were thinking about writing. And actually, some just chose not to be explicit about it at all, which is also great. There's a lot of nature, and there's a lot of air. There's a lot of use of um, harmonics to, I think, create feeling of space, stillness, time, expressing time. But there was, you know, there was all sorts. I mean, there was, well, first of all, people come, people uh, who wrote for the project come from very different backgrounds, um, you know, different ages, different interests, like genre of interests. People, some people came from the jazz world, folk, uh, kind of roots world, very traditional, classical, you know, very experimental. 
yeah. world. So, um, and yeah, it was just it was just great to see what people are into. Mm. You know, and that's my really biggest takeaway from this project is um, I think I'll never be bored if I can do this kind of thing more. It's just because there's so many people who are doing so many amazing things. Um, and if I have a chance to be a small part of bringing it to life somehow, it's, uh, I'll never be bored. I imagine it was a trip to work with people from such different uh, backgrounds and uh, um, personal backgrounds and also uh, musical backgrounds. Uh, I imagine that when you started receiving some of these works that you weren't getting, you know, uh, just neatly printed out stacks of sheet music with, you know, a written out artist statement. Right. Um, where, did you get some responses and you were like, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Yes. Uh, some <laughs> Tell of us them about are, some. Some of them are on tonight's program. <laughs> <laughs> was it him? <laughs> no. No. Uh, I, I, I mean, I needed to, st in, in, I needed a guide into many of the works, you know, I needed the composer to take me in and kind of like show me around, you know, this is the kitchen, this is the bed. <laughs> and um, um, yeah, I mean, um, there's a piece on the program tonight by Nick Dunstan, who's a, an amazing uh, jazz bass player. Uh, and when he sent me the score, it was it was all handwritten. It was one page. There were some instructions on a separate page, and then I looked at it, and I had I knew that some things set, uh, were depicting seconds of time, and besides that, I really didn't know much about it. Like I could not read it, and then he very kindly asked a friend of his who is a violinist who is very, you know, who speaks the language to make uh, instructional videos for me. Oh, wow. So she went through the pieces, she's like, okay, bar one, or not bar, box one, left corner, sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> Over here, sounds like this. And, you know, so that, for example. Um, another piece is by one of the youngest composers in the collection, uh, Miami Rowe Johnson, who I think is maybe 22 now. She wrote it, you know, three years ago. Um, so she was three years younger. And um, the second and the fourth movement of a five-movement suite uh, were just a text, and it was instructions. And I kind of, like, was reading them. There were instructions for someone who would be taking a Gaga dance class. 
which is an improvisatory dance class, right? And it comes from her experience of when during the pandemic or right before the pandemic, she she was in an accident, and as part of her um, uh, PT, she was she discovered uh, Gaga dance class, and during the pandemic, she was taking this class on Zoom along with hundreds of people from around the world, which is kind of like an unbelievable amount of little squares <laughs> doing things. But uh, <laughs> so the movement or the instruction, it just reads as somebody who is leading a class, huh. right? And then my job is to turn that into sound, which I will attempt to do today. <laughs> if you want to interpretively dance, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, and so there were, you know, there were, there were, I mean, one, one piece came back as a, as a poem set to music to guitar. It was basically a poem slash song. And so I, it didn't really work on the violin. So I had to figure out how to plunk the, you know, the guitar. So I have to, like, I had to figure that out. And there was one song, the one just song, guitar and voice, so I had to do that, and I'm not a singer. Um, so, you know, it, it stretched it stretched my comfort level right. quite a bit. Well, I want to hear more about why you wanted to do that, because <laughs> you are, I mean, you are a, a virtuosic violinist. You've been playing your entire life. Why not continue down this path that you have been walking, um, this path that you have been so celebrated for, and instead learn to play guitar and right. sing? Yeah. Well, I can't say that I actually learned either of those things, but but trying them was, was fun. And I don't know that I've, you know, th this path that you mentioned, I don't know that it's been a clear one for me. Um, still try and figure it out. Um, and there's so many people who are already on the path. It's pretty busy, you know? <laughs> so um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, as I said, like the, the most joy I get is out of uh, playing music. Um, a lot of, not most, a lot of it has to do with situations where I'm either surrounded with friends or getting to, you know, learn something about someone and playing their music is a great way to do that. Mm. I also like to play a lot on my own, but that's a separate conversation. We don't have to go there. <laughs> Co, does that resonate with you? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, Johnny, what's, it's just, you know, I'm going to say something pretty simple, but uh, because you value, like, the relationships, I think, when in you know in your work, right? That you like through these works, the collection of twenty some works that you have. In a way, you know, because it also is supposed to reflect this period of isolation, you know, it's like it points to like wanting to inhabit or be in these really personal spaces with with individuals because you want that connection in some ways too as. Um, because you value your relationships so highly, I think, maybe. And that's what, you know, it's what's cool about how, hey, you're playing guitar and singing, you know, that kind of sort of mentality, I think, oh, comes I, across to me in, in that collection of works. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. I, I didn't want to uh, limit people to tell them, like, specifically what to do and definitely didn't want 
tell people what not to do. Um, but, you know, also, I, I'll say, I mentioned this in the class earlier today, but I, I also learned that, that like, many people, um, I am, like, scared of the unknown, um, terrified, really. So when I was getting these new works uh, that I had really no idea how to approach, um, my first reaction was just fear. Mm. you know and like wanting to kind of reject it um but i knew that i you know that that was initial and then i had to get kind of through it and i'm still working through it i still have those experiences you know but i mean that's also that just happens in the world you know but it's a good uh, muscle to exercise yeah we have to take one more quick break But before we do, here's what we're working on for Vermont Edition tomorrow. Now, you've probably heard about the drug Ozempic and its cousins, Wagovi and Munjaro. The FDA's approved them as treatment for type 2 diabetes. But they are also used by celebrities and increasingly regular folks to lose weight. Here in Vermont, some doctors want the state to require insurance to cover the drugs. Tomorrow, we'll speak with Vermont's health commissioner, Dr. Mark Levine, and other health professionals about how these drugs work. Have you considered taking one of these weight loss drugs? What are your questions or your thoughts about weight control? Email us at vermontedition at vermontpublic.org, and be sure to join us Tuesday at noon. More of our foray into contemporary classical music when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lefrac. Today on the show, we are listening to a conversation I recorded earlier this month in Hanover, New Hampshire. I sat down with the Grammy award-winning violinist Johnny Gandelsman. He's an artist-in-residence at the Hopkins Center for the Arts at Dartmouth College, and he has an anthology called This is America. We were also joined by a contributor to that anthology, Dartmouth alum and renowned shakuhachi player Kajiro Umazaki. The two performed a concert later that evening, and we've interspersed some of the music here. Let's get back to our conversation. Do you feel like you've gained an understanding, a new understanding of America from working on this project, This Is America? So I feel like we, we could use some guidance right now. <laughs> I, that's, 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 that's above my pay grade. Uh, but I can just say, you know, I, I've... Um, I've always, you know, I came here when I was 17, you know, I re- I really fell in love with the place and, and, um, um, the melting pot idea is not just idea, you know, it really like feeds the thing yeah, to me, for me. And, um, so like defining, <laughs> this is America, it, again, again, like it sounds grand, but it's also, it's such a small slice of what it is. And I'm just discovering you know actually what what is it and <laughs> my next project is twice as big that i'm thinking about but just because there's more to know mm. you know so i don't know we'll see well that's a good excuse for me to ask you co about what it's like to be back here at dartmouth you went to graduate school here i did yeah yeah, yeah. and taught here for yeah, well. I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I taught a visiting sort of person, and I taught mm-hmm. some of the classes, some undergraduates. Um, uh, it's great, and I just also want to mention um, that I'm really 
grateful and thankful for actually two commissions now from the Hopkins Center, both related to Johnny. Uh, but you know, I'm really, really super grateful for that. I guess I did okay here at Dartmouth. I don't know. <laughs> it it, it's like... okay for me to come back. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been it's been a very. Um, I've had a chance to come back here over the years. I see some some of my friends from those days. Yes, uh, when I was a grad student, and one of them, Michael Casey, over there, who who led the music department as well and, and, and came back to teach and transformed that program that we were in. Um, so uh, I, you know, it's, it's home, essentially. It's home, yeah. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up and, and prepare to head over to this concert, I'm wondering if um, each of you could give us a bit of a, a preview of what we'll be hearing, or maybe you have the, the rare chance to kind of shape the minds of the people who will be listening to your music. So what, what headspace should we be approaching this with? Or what headspace were you in, Co, when you, when you were preparing this piece that you would like us to be, be thinking of? Yeah, okay, so. Um, Picture the world's greatest piece of music. Yes, exactly, it's gonna be awesome. And Johnny is so great that you can't go wrong. No. Um, uh, which is true, but uh, uh, so if I can, I do it this way because I had a request. Let's do Not it. Not that we're taking requests up here, but um, uh, if I say something like "Echo, Echo, 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 Ekaterinburg, Ekaterinburg," you know, yeah, you know, uh, this piece is about um, it, at least the piece that I'm, you know, that I wrote for Johnny is about really thinking about um, also. Uh, where we are with artificial intelligence these days, and this and the system that I built for Johnny to play through, which he'll, he'll do it with a recorded version of it this time, um, is, a, is a kind of an echo system, but it plays back things that you've already played before, so it's pattern matching. So in that sense, it's, it's old school AI kind of coming back. And the reason why I picked that is because, um, you know, old, if you think about old school AI, you know, it's pattern matching, so you think about, well, what's similar? What's most similar, right? And let's play that back. So it's not like an echo that's a perfect echo, but it's something that's similar that keeps coming back that you've played into it. But then I started thinking, well, why, are we, why do we put value, more, more value on similar, right? Because, we, because I think in the arts, we can hold both difference and similarity together in the same space and find something meaningful in that. Um, and so when listening to the piece, I think maybe tonight, that, you know, especially Johnny's version uh, of this, just the idea of holding those two things in the same space, sometimes similar, sometimes different, and letting sort of like a, um, a non-verbal sonic sort of expression of what it means to actually just sit in that space between similarity and difference and how they can actually be in dialogue with each other and coexist. Maybe that's, that would be great. It's beautiful. Johnny, what do you have to add? Um, well, <clears throat> I think tonight there's eight works, um, and I don't know, it, it's hard, it's really hard to summarize, you know, what you will hear. I, I guess I would just, um, put out a wish that maybe if you're able to put aside the, is this good or bad kind of thinking and just maybe... Um, you know, ask like, is this interesting or surprising or at all memorable? 
um, I would be really happy if that kind of was the state of mind that you went into. Because I don't know if you like all the pieces. I don't know if you like any of the pieces. Uh, but that doesn't. I, it's it's not about. I don't think it's about liking. You know, it's it's really like, it's about <coughs> this person who put their you know heart and soul and a lot of time into um, expressing themselves. And it's really, it's actually now, you know, we're sort of past COVID, even though so many people have COVID now. But we're also back, like it's four years later, we're getting into this election cycle again. And it's very, it's interesting to me uh, to go back to these pieces now. Because there's something, you know, and at the moment where I was learning them, I was... I was like in it. It was right in front of me, you know. Uh, and now there's that's a little bit of time has passed, and some things have changed, and some things haven't. Um, it's just I don't know. There's just more um, shades in the music for me, you know. But I'm just happy that you'll be there and you'll experience it. And you know, if you're really interested. A four-hour album of of new music for violin is available at the at the concert. You can buy it <laughs> <laughs> or stream it or do whatever you want with it. It's a really good doorstop. <laughs> Johnny Gendelsman, Ko Ubizaki, thank you so much for speaking thank with me today. Thank you for having us.
Special thanks to the folks at the Hopkins Center for the Arts at Dartmouth for partnering with us. You can find information about the music we played during this hour on the Vermont Edition page of vermontpublic.org. That event and this type of show are kind of new for us, and we'd love to hear what you thought. You can send us an email with your feedback to vermontedition at vermontpublic.org. Our show is produced by Tedra Meyer, Andrea Lorian, and Daniela Fierro. Our theme music was composed by Myra Flynn. I'm Michaela LaFrac. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again soon.